Michael Smith, there is something that I figured out. The offseason never sleeps. No. No, it uh, it continues on until it awakens. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent segue for episode seven of the Canes cast, The Canes Awaken, alongside Carolina Hurricanes webmaster at Hurricanes.com. He is their feature reporter and, of course, a traveling salesman in his spare time on the road. That's Michael Smith. From time to time. You do a good uh, job. We'll give a shout-out to, to Andrew, who emailed us in uh, some title suggestions for, for this week's episode, The Storm Awakens, The Force Awakens, uh, The Force is Skating. Uh, we're going to go with The Canes Awaken. All good suggestions. Thank you, Andrew, for writing in. Um, but, yeah, this episode uh, affectionately titled The Canes Awaken, uh, and we're almost out of Star Wars titles for those who are tired of them. Exactly. But... I do like that Andrew picks up that we record this in Chuck Caton's studio. Right. Wow. Proud noise only. And he came up with... The Force of Caton. There you go. Featuring guest Chuck Caton, which, uh, you know, might happen sometime in the future. It's not a might. That's a definite. (laughs) It is going to happen. We'll trap him inside here and get him to answer some questions. What? I'm Mike Maniscalco from Fox Sports Carolinas and Canes Vision and CarolinaHurricanes.com, also known as Hurricanes.com. Please go visit the website because that's where you find this podcast. And you also find it in other places like on iTunes and Google Play. Yeah, uh, episodes become available each week as they are recorded. uh, So you can listen there or you can uh, choose to to put this podcast in the podcast uh, manager of your choice uh, via the raw XML file that you can find on the website. It's all there. It's all there. So if you're tech savvy, you can do the last thing that Michael Smith said. If not, just go to iTunes or Google Play. Yeah, those are the easiest. Yeah. Or you can or the listen. Website is yeah, you can listen right on the website. Too. So, all right. Well, we know that somebody can listen however they want because they got paid this past week. Cha-ching. That would be Brett Pesci, another Carolina Hurricanes young defenseman, gets a contract extension. And this is a good deal, I think, for all parties. When you take a look at a six-year contract extension that kicks in after this year, because Pesci's on the last year of his entry-level deal, Michael Smith, I love this deal for all the parties. I think that the numbers are right. And when you put it right next to Jacob Slavin's contract that was done the week before or two weeks before that, you you got the makings of a outstanding blue line that is going to be together for a very long time. So there is nothing that I could look at for this Brett Pesci deal and say, well, this is a great deal all the way around for all of the parties that are involved, for the Hurricanes and for the defensemen. Yeah, I mean, you look at what the Hurricanes are getting from those two. It's outstanding defense, a legitimate top pairing in the NHL. Uh, and they've got them for just over $9 million combined. And when you look at some of the top defensemen in the NHL and what they're making, P.K. Subban, I think his AAV is is right at 9. And he's he's a tremendous defenseman worth every penny of that. But for the Hurricanes to get a legitimate top defensive pairing at you know just over nine million combined is uh, a great deal uh, and it's great for the future of this team and this blue line because those those two are just coming into their own well you've got three more years of Justin Falk as well I think we kind of forget that old man Justin Falk is only 25 years old and he's got three years left on his deal so half of your defensive core Michael is locked up for the next three seasons at least and beyond and you still have Noah Hannafin, who at some point is going to get a contract from this team, you would think. Yeah. I don't know when that gets done, but let's break down the Pesci contract for me for why this fits. And it's kind of exactly what you've, what you've said. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. 
you have the Jacob Slavin piece, which is fantastic. And Jacob Slavin, we've started to see, you can pair him up with anybody and it doesn't matter. But you put him and Brett Pesci together, that tandem works. And there are some things in sport where you don't question it, it just works. And that's what that tandem is. So, like you said, you get a top pairing for the price of what number one defensemen are going for right now in the National Hockey League. And the other thing I like about about Brett Pesci's game, and I said it about Jacob Slavin, this contract doesn't change them. If anything, it puts more motivation on them to be better. And I think we're going to see a little bit more out of Brett Pesci offensively than what we haven't seen in his first two years in the league. I think we're going to see him turn into a little bit more offensive-minded. He's got a decent shot, but he said he had to work on it, and I'm pretty right. sure that he's doing that right now this offseason. Yeah, we talked. We got the chance to talk to him, what was it, last week uh, on yes, a sir. conference call, and he said, yeah, the one thing he was focused on this offseason was the offensive side of his game and specifically his shot and making that more of a weapon from the blue line. You look at what Justin Falk can do with his shot. And his offensive production for a defenseman is tremendous, is something the Hurricanes have come to rely on, uh, specifically on the power play. So if Brett Pesci can develop his the offensive side of his game, uh, if he can make his shot more of a weapon, potentially at even strength, that only makes him better. That only makes him more valuable uh, as a piece on the blue line. Defensively, he's very sound. Him and Jacob Slavin were both uh, plus 23 this past season, and I know plus minus is a... Uh, a hotly debated statistic. Yeah, but for a team that has not had defensemen in the plus, at least to that stratosphere in years, I think that's an important number to bring. And out. had a negative goal differential too. So not only so the team has a negative goal differential, but Pesci and Slavin are both plus twenty three. That's tremendous. That speaks a lot to their value and what they mean to this team. Uh, defensively so to lock both of them up uh, within a few weeks of each other long term uh, is great for the Hurricanes and and great for the the future of this team and the blue line all right to that end where does this blue line look to next is it let's get a deal done for Noah Hannafin or can you now maybe slow play a couple of hands if you're the front office because I, I think you now have the luxury like I said half your defense is locked up Let's see how Noah Hannafin plays this year. I mean, if there's a deal before the season starts that makes sense for both parties, sure, go ahead and do that. But you're going to control Noah Hannafin. He's still on his entry-level contract. You're going to control his rights for a while. Let's see how this year turns out. That could be the, the one where you kind of can say, let's roll the dice and see what happens as far as does he have a better season? We have to pay him more. Or does he have a season where maybe we don't have to put him in that that stratosphere yet of what Justin Falk is getting paid or Brett Pesci or Jacob Slavin. Yeah, I don't think there's any harm in waiting with him. Uh, you know, if a deal gets done, great, great for the team, great for him. If not, uh, the Hurricanes can qualify him as a restricted free agent and, and proceed from there in terms of the uh, the negotiations. Uh, but, yeah, I think this is a big year for Noah Hannafin. I think, you know, whether he gets a contract or not before the season, uh, he's got to come out uh, and prove himself on, on the blue line and uh, maybe round into his offensive game a little more. I think he needs to, to work on his shot a bit, and, and hopefully this offseason, just like Brett Pesci, he's he's doing that. But um, I, I'd like to see more out of him this season. We all know how good he can skate. We all know how great he can move the puck up the ice. He's a good defender. I'd like to see more out of him offensively this year. Yeah, I think uh, we will see that too because – He's going to be in the top four pairings right now. He's going to right. be in the top two pairings, top four defensemen. So it'll be a big year for him. But I, I go back to this. You've got 
six defensemen who are 26 years or younger, and you only play six defensemen a night. I mean, this is pretty impressive to what the Canes have built on the blue line, and they have actually put themselves in. Michael, I did a little exercise. I know you got something else to add about where this blue line fits in in the NHL, but we'll get to that in a second. Well, I was just going to say, you look back at last year and Noah Hannafin's progression in his sophomore season, and early on in the year he had a basically a rotating cast of characters alongside him in that third pair, and after the trade of Ron Hainsey, Noah Hannafin sort of had to step up and, and take more of a, of a crucial role on the team, and I think he thrived in doing so. So I think the more you see out of Noah Hannafin, the more you're going to like him, and you're going to see more out of him this season because he is is going to take a bigger role on the team being in the top four. Yeah, he's going to be counted on to play 20 minutes a night. So we'll see what that does for his game. But as Michael just pointed out, last year when we saw it happen, we liked what we saw. We saw his game round up even more and get a little sharper and be a little crisper. And now we'll see what he's going to do because we take it for granted. He's only 20 years old, Michael. Yeah, it's just really the whole – everyone's age on the blue line is is really something to to sort of marvel at because it's talked about the hurricanes having one of the best defensive cores in the NHL and then you look at their ages and it's just it's amazing yeah. to think what this group of guys is capable of what this group of guys could do in the years to come as they grow as they mature uh, as they learn how to play this pro game and and succeed in the NHL to just think of the potential there is is really something special. All right. Well, we know this is called the Canes Cast, and this is Episode 7, The Canes Awaken. And when you listen to this, I, I hate to go, there's going to be some bias with it, but we look at this through the, the prism of the Carolina Hurricanes. But if I was to ask you, Michael, just unbiased, where does this blue line stack up in the NHL? If we were going to do, all right, list the top 31 defensive cores one to 31 one this is the best 31 is the worst where does this team stack up and I was doing this before the podcast and I kept trying to move teams in front of them and I couldn't when it comes to who's the best now I think Nashville has the best and we saw that they rode that to the postseason the only teams that I can say stack up with or are better than the Canes right now is Nashville Columbus and Columbus, the Canes are almost the exact same model as Columbus right now, where they've got their top pairing of Seth Jones and Zach Warinsky together, and they're going to be very good for a long time. And they're even, you know, you keep going down, they've got depth there. Then Anaheim's pretty good and young. Calgary's very good. You know, they count on their defense. And Minnesota, I think, is even. So we're talking about a top five, top six defense score? Yeah, I mean, when you, when you posed that question, I was like, well, certainly they're top half. Obviously, they're definitely top 10. And I think there's certainly an argument to be made that they're top five. And you just look at the the stats of the team and it sort of lends credence to that fact. I mean, Bill, Bill Peters, excuse me, preaches a uh, sort of defensive first philosophy that if you're responsible in your defensive zone, it it will lead to to goals at the other end of the ice. And I think the team has bought into that, subscribed to that uh, and sort of thrived under it. And I think you're going to see that just take another step this year as the team has grown and gotten more talented with the additions of the offseason. And people can keep this conversation going on Twitter. I'd love to see where people would rank the the top defenses in the NHL, where the fans have it, where the Canes defensive core fits in. And just use the hashtag CanesCast, that way Michael and I can see it. But I, I kept going back to it. There are only two others, Michael, that I kept going to, like San Jose and St. Louis. And 
you know, San Jose gets a lot because of Brent Burns, and he's great, and I'm not knocking that, but I think that there's a lot of hype put on Brent Burns, well-deserved. Their defensive core behind him is very good, but nobody talks about him, like Mark Edward Vlasic is outstanding. St. Louis is very good on the blue line, too, and they appreciate you more there. Yeah, so and I've been told. I guess if you look at the, the Hurricanes' defensive core, the one thing you might look at it and say is, well, they're missing a veteran presence. But I'm not really sure how important that is. I mean, you've got guys like Justin Falk who have played in the league for quite a number of years. You look at Noah Hannafin, Jacob Slavin, Brett Pesci, they're going into their third year. Trevor years. Van Riemsdyk has won a Stanley Cup. Exactly. These guys have experience. They're young, but they they have that experience. So I, I'm not sure how important having a veteran guy is. You're going to have them elsewhere. You're going to have them in the room. They're just not on defense. They're learning from a, a, a great coach and, and Steve Smith. Yeah, there's your veteran presence. Yeah, exactly. So it's funny. That's a chicken versus the egg question for me, which is, well, what do you need, the veteran presence, or do you need the talent from the younger players to get there? If you win, you get your experience. And, and what Michael just said, Justin Falk has half, you know, half a decade's worth of experience now in the NHL. Slavin and Pesci now have played – one full season and a half. So they're not rookies. They're not kids anymore. Noah Hannafin has played two full seasons in the National Hockey League. So while these are young guys, we're not taking a look and saying, well, geez, Michael, these guys are all playing their first game. I hope they'll play well. You, you know what you're going to get out of these guys now. Would you like to have a good veteran presence? Sure, but I don't think it's, it's necessary anymore. It's more of a sports cliche. It's when you don't have it, you can point to it and say, well, that's what you need. Right. But I don't think that that's something that's that's missing right now from this team. I just don't. Yeah, and I think that segues nicely into how many open spots on the roster do you think we're going to see come September when training camp opens? Yeah, we keep talking about this, and I keep going back and forth. And honestly, I think there's really only one. I think there's only one open spot on the roster, and it's the sixth defenseman, or seventh defenseman, how you want to look at it. They're going to carry seven defensemen. So the question is, does somebody beat out Klaus Dahlbeck for that sixth defenseman spot? Or does somebody come in and they are going to be the extra defenseman that they can rotate in? Maybe that's where the veteran presence comes in. That's really the only place that I see a roster spot open because even amongst the forwards, Michael, I think it's Brock McGinn and Phil DiGiuseppe to start. I don't think there's any of the... The younger guys we saw at the prospects camp who are going to break their way in because I don't think you want to bring in a guy and have him play nine, ten minutes a night as a forward when he can play 15 to 20 minutes a night down in the AHL. The blue line's more interesting for me because we've talked about it. Hayden Flurry, you could go to Jake Chelios. We can run down the list of names that people have just kept saying. This guy, maybe Trevor Carrick, maybe it's his turn. We've heard so many names down in Charlotte that might be ready for that jump. That's the only spot that my eyes go to where there is an open competition on the team. I'm going to go a little more, and I'm going to say three, perhaps four, just because of the unknowns. I think the fourth line's completely wide open. I think Marcus Kruger is was brought in as the center, and I think he will start as the center. But then you've got guys like Josh Juris. You've got Phil DiGiuseppe. You've got Brock McGinn. You've got Joakim Nordstrom. All of those guys, I think, are going to be jockeying for wing positions. Juris could also play center, sure. um, and, and I guess Nordstrom could as well. But all of those guys are going to be jockeying for the two wing positions, um, and I think it's wide open. I think you could go with any combination of 
any of them on any given night. I think you and I are on the same page. I I think that those wingers on the fourth line, who's it going to be is in question, Right. but they're on the team. I don't think it's going to be, hey, this guy comes out of nowhere and takes the spot. I think it's going to be Joakim Nordstrom, Brock McGinn, Phil DiGiuseppe, or Josh Joris. Those four guys for those two spots, but we know it's those four guys, as opposed to who is the seventh defenseman for the Carolina Hurricanes or who's the sixth defenseman for the Hurricanes. Right. We don't know that I think, one right yeah, now. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely more of the question mark because, as you mentioned, it could be any number of guys, and it's going to depend a lot on how uh, they approach training camp, oh, yeah. how they perform in the exhibition season, and then what Bill Peters sort of envisions as the best fit for opening night. You mentioned it before. I think the team has no problem carrying seven defensemen. That's that's likely yeah. going to happen, especially when you go out on the West Coast early on in the year. You don't want to go out with just six defensemen, risk injury, and then, you, then you're sort of stuck having to fly in somebody who might be in uh, a city that's 3,000 miles away and, and travels a bit di- more difficult. Um, so, yeah, I think we see seven defensemen carried. I, the fourth line's sort of wide open, but it's between, as we mentioned, those four or five guys. And I'm interested to see just how the top nine shakes out because yeah. I think there's a defined top nine, but then it's where do you slot the guys that are there? See, I think that will be the bigger question, not what positions are up for grabs, but who fills these positions with this team moving forward. And, look, I, I hate to be the bearer of this news, but it's a professional hockey season that goes 82 games. There are going to be bumps. There are going to be bruises. There are going to be guys who are going to miss some time. That's when we're going to see, does a Lucas Walmart get another return opportunity here to score? Does a Valentin Zikoff get a chance to come up and play after coming in and scoring right away and then having a, a tough go of it with that shoulder injury, and then that kind of cost him any kind of momentum. Is there any other younger players that we might see who get off to a great start in the AHL? You know, Does a, a Nick Wad, does a Julian Gauthier get a, a, a small sample size this year? So there's a lot, but I think, honestly, Mike, it comes down to one open question, like who's going to be on this roster who we don't know is going to be there. And I, this is another flip the coin. You can tell me it's good. You can tell me it's not. I'm going to ask you because I do the podcast with you, Michael. It's sure. convenient for me. It's only natural. Look at that. It's right here. <laughs> like what we're doing this show with, by the way, a new carpeted room here. It's lovely. There's less echo. I know. Thank you, Chuck. Proud noise only. For uh, getting that done. But the, the problem for me is, is it good to come in and say this is the roster? Or is it good to come in and say, no position safe, guys. You got to go earn it. Because I think you create either way, you can, the fear of complacency for, well, I know I have a spot, versus the fear of all this pressure on a guy and they don't perform the way that they should because they're in this grind of, oh my God, if I make a mistake, I'm not going to play. So I really don't know what's better. I, I kind of like knowing my team and then you can tinker with it as opposed to, well, everything's wide open. Because if everything's wide open, that means you don't have a very good team because you're not sure who should play where. Yeah, I think there are merits to both. As you mentioned, uh, I'm sort of, whoa, I'm going to uh, go to a different the sport. has awoken your phone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to go in the direction of football and take an example from the Carolina Panthers, who, coming off their Super Bowl run, really didn't have, they, they knew who their team was. They knew that's what the team was. And I, and I do think you mentioned complacency. I think a bit of complacency set in because there wasn't that drive. There wasn't that uh, challenge of, uh, you know, maybe some guy can come in and work his way into a roster spot. The team was pretty defined and they went on to have the, have the season they had last year. 
I like the idea of competition. I like uh, younger guys being able to challenge uh, the so-called established players um, into earning their spots. Every spot on this team has to be earned. Um, And even, even the veteran guys know that they come into training camp. They know they just can't, you know, do whatever, go about their business, go through the motions. They know they have to compete on a day-to-day basis. I think competition makes everybody better in the end. So I'm going to go with that. I like competition. I like uh, having spots up for grabs. I we know they're we know Scott Darling and and Cam Ward are going to be the goaltenders for this team. But I want to see a young guy like Callum Booth or like Alex Nedeljkovic come in and show us something. Show us something yep. that that makes us say, okay, you know, here's something that we might see from this guy a year or so down the road. I want to see that from from guys, goaltenders, defensemen, forwards just to show us something and show us that that one day they're going to belong in the NHL. Well, the one thing that I believe this team is set up for with the competition or inherent competition, Michael, is, well, we know who's on the team. goes back to what you say. Well, who occupies the spots on the first line? Who occupies who's going to be the wingers for Jordan Stahl? Who's going to be the guy on the top line, on the top power play units. That's where the competition with, it, with this team is going to come into play. Yeah, and that's going to that's gonna always change. That's going to change probably about 10 times during training camp, and it'll probably be different by the time we get to opening night because nothing ever remains the same throughout an 82-game season. You have injuries, you have droughts, you have streaks, and it's all about trying to find the right combination. I don't think there's a line in the NHL that – that has stayed together for an entire season. I mean, you have long stretches where uh, guys are productive. It, it works as a line, but, but things change. You have to move guys up and down the lineup depending on maybe it's depending on who you play, where you're playing um, ma- certain matchups. It's, right. it's things change. And uh, that's why we're here to report on why and how the things change. I'm going to do something right now as you are listening 20-plus minutes into this podcast that is going to save Michael Smith and me grief this year. And this is very selfish, and I'm admitting it. I subscribe to the Scotty Bowman line of there are no lines. There's no first line, second line, third line, fourth line. That's something that we've invented through video games or other coaches or energy lines and checking lines. There's just lines. So when Michael tweets out this line – and then that line, and might put a line out first. Don't say, how's that the top line? It's just the line combinations. Because we've found out with Bill Peters, if a line's going, they're going to play more. If a line isn't, even if it's your top players, they're going to play less. So, yes, we have it in our minds. There has to be the top line and the second line and the third line. But let's just all go into this like the greatest coach in hockey history, Scotty Bowman. I don't number my lines. I just have lines. Yeah, it's lines, it's matchups, it's who's going, who's not, and who's going to give you the best chance to win. And it's really not lines anymore. It's more duos. And coaches around the league have said that to me, Michael. I don't know how many of the, those guys you've talked to, but you've heard Bill Peters say They don't a lot. talk to me. Well, they should. <laughs> but or at least they shouldn't look at you when they talk right. to you. But, you know, it's more of the what center and wing combination works and we'll work on the other side. It's not these are the three guys who are going to stay together forever. Yeah. Or it's a pair of wingers and and trying to decide how they fit in uh, with a certain center. So, exactly. Like uh, we'll use this example: Skinner and Stepniak, for whatever reason, worked well as a pair of wings last year, and they found some chemistry uh, surrounding Derek Ryan in the middle. 
uh, that's going to be something that I think head coach Bill Peters tries out this year, yeah. at least early on, just to see if that uh, chemistry still remains. It, it, you know, who who knows why it happens or or uh, or why it sustains itself or why it disappears in seemingly an instant. Um, but that's sports. That is sports. That got kind of deep. That was that was well done. <laughs> I think you should talk to more coaches. <laughs> yeah. Almost, you were getting into coach speak there. I was following. I you felt for a like second. I said a lot, and then I, I don't know if I really said anything, but it sounded deep. No, I think it was accurate. No, oh. I think that I, we've gotten into the good stuff here. A few minutes <laughs> into, we've gotten the, into the philosophical portion of Kane's cast. Thank you very much. Please crack out your crystals as we will now gaze into the future, uh, which will not have the Olympics featuring NHL players. That's not going to happen. Done deal. You had the owner of the Ottawa Senators saying it's not going to happen because schedules are set and outdoor games are set and we're not going to let players go. It got a little weird for me, though, Michael. I don't know if you saw it. It came out, I think, this weekend or late last week, where if you have any part of an NHL contract, even if you're in the AHL, you're not going to be allowed to go and play in the Olympics. So a two-way contract. Yes. Because that would be part of an NHL. You have NHL pay. Potential for NHL pay. You are not going to go to Pyongyang in South Korea and participate in the Olympics. And I, I keep going back and forth on this, which is, do you want to halt the season for basically a month? And what do you get out of it? Versus the, the more I hear about it from the players, a lot of the players, and this isn't just a 90% Canadian league anymore. The majority of the players who are from Europe want to go and play, and I'll give uh, Asia a shout-out for Russia, the majority of these people want to go and play. They're mad that they can't represent their country in the Olympics this year. So I don't know if the NHL is doing themselves a service when it comes back to doing what's right by the players when you have a lot of guys who want to go and play, and a lot of Americans want to go and play because they want to get USA Hockey back on the map and build the off of the momentum of them winning World Junior Championships and having good showings everywhere else. They want to they want to go and play. But I get it's in a country that is going to put the games on early in the morning. Nothing will be live. When we see it, it'll all be tape delayed. We'll know the results. I get that. And the NHL is like, what's in it for us if we stop this season for a month? But I'm starting to think, you know, what's in it for you is you keep your players happy. You know, a lot of talented players want to go play in this thing. And it'll be very curious to see when players like Alex Ovechkin, now that I'm crying if he leaves for a month in the NHL. Okay. See, go ahead, bye. I'll, I'll even I'll get you a drink ticket on the flight out there if you want yeah. it, Alex. <laughs> but is it going to be a case where certain players are just like, we're going to play anyway, and our team has to deal with it? Then what problems does that create once we get into February? Well, if you let that guy go, don't you have to let this guy go if he wants to play? It's a tricky business decision that the NHL made because they do have to balance a number of things. They have to balance what the players want. They have to balance what's best for the league. They have to balance what the owners want. And it's probably three different things. And ultimately, they made the decision not to go this year for the first time since, what, Nagano in 98? Um, So it is going to be a more amateur Olympics, which I kind of like. I'm kind of looking forward to that just because you're going to get um, players that you might not know of, you probably haven't heard of, who are going to be competing. Um, maybe the European teams are better 
because they're going to have they're guys. They're going to have pro players. Correct. Pro players and, and, for instance, like the Swedish Hockey League will go over and, and play. Um, players in the KHL are going to go and play. Right. So maybe there's maybe those teams are going to be better than, say, the Canadian national team. or the I don't American. know. The Canadians might be able to throw out Shane Doan and Jerome Ginla. <laughs> or maybe Yager will play for, uh, for Czech. I think he will. Hopefully somebody signs Jaromir Yager in the NHL. But if not, he'll play for the Czech Republic. But uh, I think it's it's a long break to take in the middle of the season. Um, and you look at last year's schedule, the World Cup of Hockey pushing back the start of the season, um, the mandatory five-day bye week, the all-star break. It all amounted to a very truncated, very compact schedule. The schedule this year is not as compact because you don't have the World Cup of Hockey uh, the the bye week's still in there, and All-Star weekend is still in there. But it allows the schedule to breathe more, and I think Olympics would – you'd not only have to probably start the season earlier, but you'd have to end it later if you were looking at trying to, to fit the same amount of games uh, into a period of time that doesn't just annihilate the players by April. Uh, and then you're looking at the Stanley Cup Finals going into to late June, and I think we've reached a point where, where people kind of want – hockey uh to maybe come to a close earlier you know not so much where we're playing here into these these late summer summer days um so i i'm okay with the decision not to go to the olympics this year because i do think the nhl has to look at what's best for itself what's best for the league you do lose the exposure that international hockey gains during the olympics mm-hmm. uh and and that's a big thing but i think it was bigger when the games were in Vancouver, um, you maybe argue that the games in Sochi uh, provided uh, a good bit of exposure to, especially when TJ Oshie was just destroying shootouts left and right. But I think the peak of that Olympic sort of hockey participation was Vancouver because it was it was in North America. Um, games were played at a fairly normal time. You had Canada and the U.S. in the gold medal game. It was just a, a tremendous time for hockey. Uh, Pyeongchang, South Korea, is, it's a tough sell. It's a tough sell for uh, for the league. It's a tough sell to say, hey, put your league on a, on a two-week break, shut down everything, we're going to go play some games that are going to be on at weird times of nights if they're live, or if not, they're tape delayed and you already know the answer because of the internet. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's a tough decision. I think the NHL made the right one. I'm going to be really interested to see what happens with certain players when we get, when we get yeah. to that time. Cause Ovechkin has said he is going to go. What do you do? What do you do? Do you, can you stop him? Can you, do you have to say, do you yeah. let a player miss nine games to go play in the Olympics? Yeah, like, that's what it'll boil down to for some teams. And I haven't looked at every team's bye week. So I don't know if there's a team that could be like, well, he's only going to miss four games and so be it. But, you know, we saw it with the Islanders nonplussed when John Tavares breaks his hand in the Olympics. You know, they're not happy about that. I just I go back to so you're only going to do this. You're only going to let the NHL players play when it's in North America or in a time zone where it's more conducive, where you can get something out of the TV rights or whatever plays into this. So I think once you say no. You have to say no from here on out. You cannot you cannot let them back because then it just becomes pick and choose when it's going to be an NHL Olympic year. Yeah. I think, the, I think the IOC will probably want the NHL back, though. Oh, God, yeah, they'll want sure. them back. So I, I'm, I'm okay with skipping one. 
Okay. I mean, I just think that it it lends itself to so many questions and potential problems than saying, well, we've been doing this since Nagano in 98. Let's just keep doing it. But it's the only sport that would that has to interrupt its season yeah. to go. And that's when I say sport, I mean major sport. You look at NFL, there's obviously not Olympic football. Uh, Olympic basketball does not get interrupted. Right. The, the season does not get interrupted because it's the summer games and – they are playing in the winter time for the yeah. majority of their NBA schedule. So then you ask, okay, ice hockey in the summer games, but that that just doesn't make no, sense. It doesn't work. So, I so yeah, you're 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 stuck where the NHL is the only major league having to having to interrupt its season completely shut down for two weeks. It's a weird momentum shift. Um, it you know creates troubles for teams who maybe have momentum going into that yeah. two or three week break and then have to come out of it. Um, you know, rested, recharged, and 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 finding that chemistry again. It's it's just it. I am I'm, I'm okay with skipping it this year. I think uh, you know the games are going to be still interesting to watch because of the amateur factor. Oh yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it's a tough break for just from the Olympic standpoint that they're not getting to see the best of the best. Yeah. So. And well, I think it's also a tough break for the fans who Olympic hockey. And I don't want to take anything away from this last World Cup of Hockey that we saw, but this last World Cup of Hockey was not like the one in 96 that everybody raved about that the United States won and how good it was. I'm Canadians don't rave about it, but I'm an American, so I will. <laughs> it, it didn't have that same feel, and it doesn't have that same feel as the past few Olympics of what we said. Like you said, even the Sochi games had big moments. You know, the TJ Oshie against the Russian Federation I'm just going to keep taking every penalty shot under the sun. It was awesome. So, you, and that was just a, a preliminary round game. That that didn't mean anything really when it came down to it, but it was and it was it was at like 7 or 8 a.m. It was early in the morning, yeah. but it was really exciting stuff. Yeah. So, you're denying that and that's why I brought up that question of if you do it now, you're like saying we're just going to pick and choose or we just cut it off. So, Interesting questions, which, guess what, Michael? We'll all be brought up in a CBA somewhere down the line near you. Sure, yeah. <sighs> Great. <laughs> Great. Can't wait for it. Well, this is always fun. He is Michael Smith. Uh, he is not just a Padawan. He is also a Jedi, as the Canes mm-hmm. awaken here in Episode 7 of the Canes cast. I'm Mike Maniscalco from Fox Sports Carolinas. We hope you enjoy this. Clearly, you have been, and we are very appreciative of that. Yeah, we are. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, you can find this uh, podcast on our website, Hurricanes, CarolinaHurricanes.com, or you can find it on iTunes and Google Play. Uh, very easy to subscribe and listen to. Please rate us and leave a review on iTunes uh, if you are so inclined. We've got uh, a few reviews here on iTunes that are uh, incredibly kind. Um, Mike, this one, uh, big props to you from Matt Breadbenner, uh, he, who says, I've been a fan of Mike since his local radio days, and I am incredibly happy to be able to hear him talk about the Canes all the time. I'm eager to hear more and hope they do the video podcast from time to time. Great job so far, guys. Um, We're going to bring back some Facebook Lives during the season, maybe? We'll definitely probably Facebook Live. Uh, a video podcast, I don't – we're uh, – we're probably better made for for podcast, I think. Oh, definitely. Audio only. Definitely. <laughs> but maybe video. Stay tuned. You never know. 
there's it, this is a, you know a wonderful studio. We'll give you a tour sometime. Uh, Catbert says, "Great hockey insight. I love everything about this podcast. Information, insight, interviews, and just the right amount of goofiness." Mike and Michael are fun and knowledgeable about the Hurricanes. They're insiders without sugarcoating what's going on with the team. I'm looking forward to hear the podcast evolve even more once the season starts, and I think it will. I think. Uh, once the season starts, the idea is that we can uh, incorporate more player interviews, staff interviews, coach interviews into the podcast because we're going to have uh, more access to the players because yeah. they're actually here. And uh, maybe a staff interview next week. Maybe. Just put that out there. That's, that's a tease. It is a tease. <laughs> Uh, and finally, uh, Hurricanes AM10 says, I am never disappointed listening to these podcasts. So happy the Hurricanes gave the fans something to listen to during the off season. Thank you for everyone who has written a review and left us a rating on iTunes. It's very kind. Leave yours this week, and maybe we'll read yours uh, next week on the podcast. Glad everybody's enjoying them, and they are going to continue into the season. I know that's a question we've been asked. Is this an off-season only thing? No, it's going to be in-season, weekly, uh, just as it has been uh, mainly for the most part in the off-season. And, um, and hopefully we find a consistent day to bring it to you. Uh, so that you can uh, keep up with the Hurricanes basically on, on all mediums. Yep. You can read, you can watch, you can listen. We've we've got you covered from all angles. That's the whole goal of this, and we thank everybody who downloads us, listens to this, and participates as well. So maybe even some poll questions in the future. Get a little bit more interactive on the Twitter machine. Like I said, I'll be curious going back to our earlier statement. Tell us who you think the top five defensive cores are in the National Hockey League or where the Canes fit into that. Use the hashtag CanesCast. Probably revisit this next week. That'll do it for us for Episode 7 of the CanesCast, The Canes Awaken. He's Michael Smith. I'm Mike Maniscalco. Bye.